You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Heavenly Father, I pray at this time that in the end, um, my words will fall away and your living word, Jesus, your son, would go forth and that by the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit, that would bring to our lives uh, the life and the salvation found in you. This I ask, this I offer in your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm grateful for the opportunity to have for us to reflect together on this portion of the 10th chapter of Mark's Gospel. It's a portion of the Gospel of Mark that I have um, always loved. Uh, it's right after the third of Jesus's passion predictions. Uh, three times in Mark's gospel, Jesus predicts to his followers that he um, will be betrayed, that he will be rejected, that he will be crucified, and that on the third day um, he will rise again. Uh, and the disciples, the mighty Christians that they are, after each passion prediction, they jockey for position. Um, and this is, this is no exception this morning, is immediately following this, um, James and John come to Jesus and they ask him that question. And um, if, if any of you um, have young children, it's the type of question that a young child would ask you, right? Promise me you'll do whatever I ask you is the way that they lead. And I think it's safe to say um, that Jesus knew um, this sort of question would be coming, and he asks them, what do you want me to do for you? And interestingly, um, of course, what they, uh, what they presume, they want to make a claim on fame. Uh, what they ask is um, for power for themselves. What they ask is for prestige. Um, they want to make a claim um, of fame upon Jesus right after this portion which we read this morning is Jesus' healing of blind Bartimaeus. And if you remember, Jesus asked the exact same question of Bartimaeus that is asked of James and John, what do you want me to do for you? And whereas uh, James and John request fame, uh, Bartimaeus makes a plea for his sight um, that he might uh, that he might follow Jesus. How dramatically um, the two are contrasted between one another. And as I say, I, I love this passage. And if we're, uh, if, if we're honest, um, we, we all kind of, love, whether secretly or not, a story about be people being put in their place, right? Uh, we, we love those kinds of stories as long as it's not us. Um, it's, a, it's a great thing. We see that James and John are, are put in their place. And interestingly, one of the things that you may remember is that uh, in large part, John Mark, um, the author of the gospel, is drawing from the eyewitness accounts uh, of Peter. Peter is sharing with Mark the things that he saw, the things that he experienced. And it's no surprise that Peter and the other disciples remember this moment um, when James and John go to Jesus and say, we want to sit one, we don't care about the rest of them. We want to sit one at your right hand uh, and one um, at your left. And of course, uh, Jesus, um, and, and even when Jesus puts them um, in their place, uh, even when we are, Jesus does so graciously. But here's the challenge. As I mentioned, I, I love this particular passage. Um, but if we reflect on it, I would argue that this might be one of the most difficult teachings of Jesus. 
It initially sounds great, and the reason I would say it's one of the most difficult teachings of Jesus, because it's not long after he addresses James and John that he addresses you and me, that he addresses his followers and said, whoever uh, would be first must be last. Uh, And not only um, to follow me must you become um, a a servant uh, of all, Um, diakonos is the word, uh, but you must become doulos, you must become a slave of all. If anyone would come after me, Um, The first um, will become last. You must be a servant of all. You must be um, a slave of all. And uh, let me say, I think it's easier to convince us to give 10% um, of our money um, than to be a servant of all and a slave of all. Because we want to win. We want to. We want to win. We want to. Um, we want to be promoted. Uh, we don't want to be reduced um, in our standing. And, and quite frankly, one of the things that is essential about this call and this claim which Jesus places upon us is we have to believe that Jesus is who He claims to be, uh, and we have to believe um, that Jesus wins uh, if we're to begin to follow this. And uh, it makes me mindful. Uh, of the words of Mark Twain. Perhaps you remember when Twain talked about the Bible, he said, my problem isn't the portions I don't understand. My problem is with the portions I do understand. Uh, And I think this is one of those passages this morning. It's rather straightforward. uh, As Jesus tells us, what does it look like to be one of his followers? It looks like the economy of the world turned upside down. Because what does the economy of the world tell us? It's never enough. You're never enough. Uh, It's always more. It's the accumulation and the acquisition of power. Uh, It's the leveraging um, of power. Uh, It's making that work um, to our benefit. That's the language and that is the economy of the world. And and if we're honest, we get sucked into that economy all the time, and not just out there, um, but we get drawn into it in the church as well. Uh, And Jesus radically, dramatically um, turns that economy upside down and describes what the economy uh, of the kingdom looks like. Uh, And the economy of the kingdom, of course, uh, is love. Uh, And the challenge uh, about acquisition and love um, is they're opposite of one another. Because the acquisition of power and its influence focuses on who? It focuses on us. It's directed um, to ourselves, and love necessarily by nature takes us out of ourselves to focus upon another uh, and to focus upon the well-being of another. Jesus um, goes on as he talks with them, and he asks them, are you able to drink the cup from which I'm to drink? And of course, they're like, absolutely. Um, That won't be a problem Um, whatsoever. And when the scriptures talk about a cup, it's often in the the Psalms when a cup is talked about, it's often, um, yes, it can mean joy, it can mean blessing, but but often uh, drinking the cup refers to wrath. Uh, And of course, what Jesus is doing, uh, both in his words and in his action, he will go. He is the fulfillment of those words which we read from the prophet Isaiah, those words uh, of the suffering servant, Um, the one by whose stripes we will be healed, the one who will be um, afflicted um, for you and for me, the one who will be struck um, on our behalf. As as Matthew wonderfully rightly noted this morning, his willingness to lay down his life that he might spend life eternally with you and with me. Jesus will actually fulfill um, those words, and it's not a sudden decision. Uh, It is a clear mission of his from the very beginning. And as I mentioned to you, it's, it's, it's rather 
straightforward. Uh, it's rather clear, but of course, one of the things I thought about is what, what does this look like um, for you and for me in life? Uh, how does this how does this apply? How does this begin to take root? And I'm afraid we probably know that as well. But I thought, what, what's, a, what's a possible example? And I, and I share a story um, from, my, from my own life. And you can, uh, as with any of these stories, I share you're welcome to agree or, or disagree. But I, I thought about a particular instance, and it happened a number of years ago. Uh, what might it look like to be um, servant of all? What might it look like to be um, slave of all? Uh, in light of Jesus having given his life as a ransom for many. And the word um, many um, is a Semitism, which basically means for the world. Jesus gives his life as a ransom for um, the world. I got a call a number of years ago from my best buddy uh, from high school. We had played soccer together. He was the best man in my wedding, and he shared with me the news that his father had died. And I said, oh, I'm spirit. I'm so sorry. Uh, you know, I, I love you. Um, I, I love your dad. And he asked if I would do the funeral. And my buddy Bert is um, his family. They were they were active Unitarian Universalists. Um, I'm not sure what an active Unitarian Universalist looks like, but it looks like my buddy. Um, they. They had a, uh, you know, they had a sand volleyball court in their backyard, a hot tub. They had, before Ikea, they had Scandinavian furniture. Um, and his dad was a professor of psychology. His mother was the director of social work at Scottish Rite. I mean, this sort of gives you an idea um, of, of my pal and his people. And, you know, I, I, this is kind of jerky, but honestly, had it been a number of years ago, I would have been like, gosh, you know, I don't know if I can. Um, you know, if, if you can meet, you know, bump, a bump, a bump, then I'll, you know, then I'll do the service. Um, but, you know, we'll need, to, we'll need to talk about it first. And thankfully, graciously, the Holy Spirit intervened and said, Craig, you idiot, say yes. Um, and I said, of course. Uh, I said, of course. Um, love you. Love your dad. I- I'd be honored um, to officiate the service. I said, now, uh, just to be fair, I'm, I'm going to have to talk about Jesus. Um, and he said, oh, he said, you know, my dad loved Jesus. Um, and, of course, a man of my times, I immediately thought, uh, 1972, the Toulouse Street album, Jesus is Just All Right With Me, um, from the Doobie Brothers. And I kind of, I'll say I kind of missed an opportunity for Stephen Green to channel Michael McDonald. Um, I should have requested that um, this morning, that y'all might do. This is, uh, this is an aside. You may remember Jesus is Just All Right For Me from the Doobie Brothers, but actually it was first covered by the birds. Um, I don't know if y'all realize that it was first covered by the birds. They had actually heard it being recorded by its original artist. Uh, Art Reynolds Singers were the ones who actually, it was a, it was a gospel um, group, and it was a gospel um, song, and the birds heard it. They recorded it. Uh, the Doobie Brothers later recorded it. Uh, any number of people, the, uh, the, the Ventures, even on down to, perhaps you remember uh, DC Talk or um, Christian Metal, um, uh, perhaps you remember Striper um, on their album in 2013, their album No More Hell to Pay, um, recorded as well. That's just, that's your trivia um, for the morning. So you can just sort of tuck that away. But of course, my thought is, you know, Jesus is just all right with me, but we went forward with the service. We, um, it'll shock you to know they didn't belong to a church. Um, and we found a church that was, uh, that allowed us to come and they were gracious. Uh, the Episcopal Church around the corner from them, let me do the service. And we followed the burial office and had the opportunity to share um, from the gospel. Um, in honor of my friends, of course, we did not start anywhere close to on time. 
Um, we had some Peter, Paul, and Mary um, thrown in there, some Myers-Briggs. There's some things that were a little extra um, in, in all of this, but, but I share that with you because it was one of those uh, incredible moments because what struck me and what I'd like to share with you now is the realization that as Jesus Christ uh, has come into the world to save sinners, as Jesus Christ has come to give his life as a ransom for the world, there was a moment of realization for me that I didn't have to win. I didn't have to win um, in this situation. I was able to go um, and to share um, the gospel with them. I was able to go um, and love uh, my friends, and I, and I didn't have to win. Jesus wonderfully calls us um, to be his followers, and one of the things that is made absolutely clear in the message of the gospel is that Jesus wins, that Jesus has won. Those words which Jesus speaks from the cross, it is finished. We have the blessed opportunity to live in that economy, the economy of the love and the grace of God which has been made known to us and available to us in Jesus. Um, that rather than the economy of the world where we have to win, um, where we have to acquire, where it's always more, we have the economy of the gospel which says that Jesus is enough, uh, that it is finished, uh, and that we are enough, not, not in our merits and our accomplishments, but we're enough in him. That profound word of freedom, that profound word uh, of good news. I, I share with you a, a final quote. Um, for that funeral, I, I preached from the resurrection uh, appearance uh, in Mark's gospel. And one of the things that happens throughout the gospel of Mark, one of the things that seems curious is that there are numerous times when Jesus commands people to silence, uh, not to tell anyone. Of course, you think that's not what our Sunday school teachers told us. Um, we're supposed to tell other people. And why does Jesus command them to silence? The realization that they will not begin to understand him until they can see and understand him through the lens of the cross and the resurrection. Um, so radically does he turn the economy of the world upside down. So radical and gracious is his invitation to you and to me that it can't be seen and understood until seen and understood through the lens of the cross and the resurrection. And I mentioned Peter sharing with John Mark um, the eyewitness accounts. And this is James Edwards is writing. Um, you remember the wonderful words which the angel um, tells the women as they come to the tomb, go and tell the disciples uh, and Peter also are the words which are given. And listen to this that James Edwards writes uh, in response to that. The angel's final word to the women is tell Jesus's disciples and Peter he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. The announcement of fulfillment of 1428 is a remarkable word of grace and encouragement. The flight of the disciples, even Peter's pitiful denial, have not been the last word. It is not given to human beings to speak the last word. The last word belongs to the risen Lord. I am going before you. The first act of Jesus' ministry was the calling of four fishermen into community with himself. And the first word of the resurrected Jesus is the reconvening of the same community of disciples. The announcement of the angel is not one of deserved blame, but a promise of gathering and going before them. God completes his plans for the church despite human failure. If the word of grace from the resurrected Lord includes a traitor like Peter, 
readers of the gospel may be assured that it includes those of their community who have also failed Christ. That was one of those words which struck me and has remained with me. Incredible good news. It's not given to humanity to have the final word. Thanks be to God. You and I don't have the final word. You and I don't have to be the winners. Jesus um, has won, and in his cross and his resurrection, he has spoken a greater, gracious, um, final word. And you and I are invited into the freedom of that economy uh, to be people who lean on him, people um, who follow him, who enjoy um, that security. The economy um, of the gospel is that Jesus is um, sufficient um, for you um, and for me. And as we hear that this day, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we, we so readily, so often um, try to be sufficient in and of ourselves in, in the ways in which we uh, accumulate and, and acquire um, status and, uh, and money and power and whatever it might be. Uh, and you so graciously give us a more glorious economy that is found in your love and your grace given to us in Jesus, your Son. Pour out the reality of that um, in our hearts and in our lives, uh, that we might know the freedom, uh, the perfect service which is found in Jesus, your Son, in whose name I pray. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.